Welcome to Hunting Land. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is a podcast for you. I'm Joe Baia, and today's show is going to be an interesting one, much like the show we did on what size tractor do you need. That is one of the most common questions we get from guys that are buying a piece of land, and they're looking to get it set up to start enjoying it. Keeping in that same vein, a lot of guys have got to figure out how to get power to either a camper, a cabin, maybe they're putting a trailer on the property, maybe they were going to build a house. Today we're going to focus on those guys that are wanting to stay off grid a little bit later in the show. But before we get there, let's hear from this week's show sponsor. And this week's show is brought to you by Black Belt Bounty. I had a chance to uh, read this book and actually gifted it to Clint. It really is a, a literary work of art. I mean, it's, it celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing that are so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy all of the outdoors that are available there. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, photographers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. If you want to pick up a copy, just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash blackbeltbounty. All right, I'm your host, Joe Bayam. I'm without Clint Flowers this week. He's out probably showing a big old tract of land at the moment. Couldn't join us this week, but we'll look forward to having him back next week. We got a really cool show planned for you today. A little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking about off-grid applications. We see that a lot with hunting land and other folks getting out and enjoying their land. We're going to be talking about generators and how to choose the right generator for an off-grid application. What some of the things you need to think about when you're considering that purchase. And then right now, let's check back in with First South Farm Credit and Taylor Hart get this week's land loan rate update. Taylor, welcome to Hunting Land, man. You know, we like to do a little monthly land loan rate update. And, you know, you're at the the Auburn Opelika branch of First South Farm Credit. Are we still just seeing these historic lows? I mean, has anything changed? Have we seen an uptick at all in the last month? No. I mean, well, we may have seen an uptick, but I mean, it's a tick up and a tick back down. And when I say tick, it's very, very small their rates are just phenomenal right now. Money's not free, but it's doggone sure close right now. (laughs) Man, you know, it has been so hard to get a closing done uh, within 30 days. We've, We've done it. I mean, we've been getting it done, but it's been a struggle because the surveyors are backed up. Everything's backed up because of the amount of people that are, that are getting into the market right now. And the hot market that I've seen has been the smaller acreages. I'd say, you know, when I say smaller, I'm saying under you know, under 250 acres, there's a lot of folks entering that market. Are you seeing the same thing there in your area? Yes, sir. We've had some larger purchases, but a lot of our, a lot of the stuff that we are financing is, you know, even smaller than that, even the, the 20 to 40 acre tracks. And then here recently, we've had calls on five to 10 acre tracks. Um, people are just trying to get I think uh, this scare, this pandemic has got them thinking that maybe I want to get out of town and I want to go have my own little place of paradise. And if I want to have a garden owner, if I want to take my kids out there to play, I can just get away and uh, spend time with my family. I've seen the exact same thing. Tons of urban dwellers calling, you know, emailing that are looking for some room to stretch out. Definitely seeing the same thing. And, you know, you, you mentioned the five to 10 acre tracks. Tell everybody what y'all can finance with regards to that is it is it a acreage limit or is it a 
geographic limit? What, what are you able to finance? We used to, if it was under 10 acres, we couldn't, we couldn't get in that game because we're an agricultural rural lender. Uh, but now we have some programs. If it's under 10 acres, if somebody's going to build a home on it, we've got a rural home lot loan program, a rural home loan program. And then when it gets above 10 acres, we can go with our normal agricultural type lending. So we're, you know, we can go from one to whatever the top number is. Uh, we've got a product that should fit uh, those situations. What about first time buyers? What do they need to know? I mean, what kind of options are out there for them? We don't have a special program like some mortgages do for first time land buyers, but their qualifications, their ability to repay, we look at that sort of stuff. But if there's people that are that are doing it for the first time, we, we like to kind of get across from them, sit down and try to educate them on, okay, th- these are the things that that are going to happen and kind of walk them through the process and then try to take the things like appraisals, title searches, set up closings for them so that they don't have to be overwhelmed with stuff that they're not familiar with. We just try to hold their hand and walk them through it as you would a friend or a family member. So we have some first time people in there scared because they've never done land before. But we try to, like I said, just try to make it simple and easy and quick and uh, get them to their destination as quickly as possible. So Taylor, I, I just had a closing uh, this past week with a, a landowner who's he's out of state and he was selling his property so that he could actually purchase a, a piece that was right next to him. And I didn't know that at, at the time. He, he didn't tell me that that was the reason he was selling it until we got to the closing table. And, and he said, uh, man, I'm so glad I sold this piece. I, I'm going to get this piece and make my, my home place bigger and really excited about it. And, and he was saying, you know, I was concerned that somebody else was going to buy that piece before I could get this place sold. And, I, and he had never told me that. It really wasn't necessary, was it? I mean, you guys have uh, the ability to make that transaction happen before that sale is made. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we can take land in lieu of down payment or collateral in lieu of down payment so that, uh, you know, in that scenario, instead of him waiting, we could have started the ball rolling just as soon as he knew that piece next to him was available, use the collateral that he had in his the piece that he sold and go on and make the loan so that he could have both pieces side by side. And now he's really got a nice piece of property and without any money out of pocket, uh, down payment money, because he had collateral in the in the land that he owned originally. When he sold that property. So if he did that and, and then he sold that property, what would then take place? Would he have to pay pay that down on the, the other loan? What would he have to do to make the LTV and the, the exposure make sense? Well, we, we would have to maintain 85% loan to value. So what, wherever in the, you know, we just have to put a pencil to it and decide, okay, once he sells that piece, now are we are we uh, satisfactory collateralized? We got to keep our loan at 85% or less. So depending on, you know, the, the value of the piece he sold versus the value of the piece he's purchasing, we just have to do some math and, and make sure that we maintained our 85% loan to value. Taylor, I'm seeing, you know, the trends that y'all mentioned, but also on the other end of the spectrum, we've got some large cash buyers that are trying to, you know, get deals done before the end of the year to, you know, get the clock rolling for conservation easements next year and things like that. And a lot of them have the ability to pay cash, but at today's super low interest rates, most of them are considering financing just so they can keep that cash working elsewhere. I mean, what are rates doing today and and what do you expect to happen through the end of the year? You know, Clint, we've, we've been saying for a long time, man, rates got to raise, rates got to come up, but 
with all the, the craziness of 2020, rates have been really, really flat, if you will. I mean, they tick up, tick down, but they are so low that it's hard not to try to take advantage of something like that. We haven't seen a lot of movement. I don't figure a lot of movement is going to happen between the next couple of weeks before the election. Once the election takes place, I think I think we're in kind of a, a mystery zone just just to see what's going to happen. But I, as you have alluded to, with this economy, I don't see how they can raise rates and us maintain uh, any strength in the economy. You know, you start raising rates, people quit borrowing, and then everything just freezes up. So. If I knew the answer to that question, I would be up a tree somewhere and not talking to you guys out of my office. But but uh, I just don't see how where the economy is that that rates have very much very much way to move up without just stalling everything. That said, I mean, what are the lows and highs of of the rates right now? You know, our, we have programs that are in the high threes to mid fours, which my history is that that's just been unheard of. So you know, depending on terms. We can do things. We can fix it for short terms, or we can we can amortize up to thirty years. And depending on the terms that people choose, they're going to be in the high threes to low fours. And that's before the passenger's refund. If you apply that passenger's refund to the deal, it's going to drop your effective rate ninety to hundred basis points. And and then now you're in the twos and threes, effectively. So I mean that's just phenomenal. Yep, it's hard to beat that. You buy the right track, your your timber's outgrowing your interest rate at that point. Well, and, and some of the guys you're talking about know that they can take their cash and make more with their cash than they're paying for their the loan. So it's a it's a it's a win win for those guys. Yep, without a doubt. Well, Taylor, I, you know it's it's good to hear rates are low uh, because that that keeps things moving, and it's always good to get that that update from you. If folks want to get in touch with you, and I can't stress this enough, I don't think we talk about it enough. Get pre-approved. Uh, it's so important right now with things moving as fast as they are that when you come and make an offer, you're not having to make an offer, you know, with this contingents on financing and this, that, and the other. Uh, so if they want to get in touch with you and and go ahead and get approved or get in touch with anybody there at First South in their local area, what's the best place for them to, to go to find somebody locally or, or just to give you a call? Well, if they want to call, if they're in East Alabama, um, you know, our telephone number is 334-826-LAND. That's pretty easy to figure out. You got to hunt it on the phone, but you can remember land and that's what they're looking for. Our 1-800 number, 1-800-955-1722, 1-800-955-1722. And that would, that would connect them to the First South office in their area. Just they just dial the one eight hundred number and it these computers are smarter than we are and it, it t- sends them to the office in their area, or they can go to firstsouthland.com, firstsouthland.com and they can look up, see our programs, our offices, and find out more about our patches refund program and it'll get them to where they need to get to to get their questions answered. Taylor, thanks for the update, man, and uh, good luck this hunting season. We'll uh, we'll look. Thank you, sir. Getting the update again from you soon. All right, boss. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a good day. Well, Clint, interest rates remain low. You doing anything different before the end of the year? I'm planning on trying to buy something if I can find a good investment. Got a lot of a lot of clients in the same boat that are looking to either refinance or, or buy more land just because of these low interest rates. Are you seeing that in your market, are you seeing that these low interest rates are inflating the cost of land? Are people paying more than what, are they paying above market prices right now? In some cases, yes. What I'm really seeing more than anything is just that this less time on the market, and instead of paying more for 
the same land, people are buying more acreage because their buying power has increased. This week's land loan rate update has been brought to you by Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. All right, well, let's get into today's show. You know, many hunters and landowners, you know, are dreaming of an off-grid setup and it's it's important when you're looking at land a lot of times there is there is no residence there and you've got to set your own your own residence whether that be building a cabin or maybe there is a little cabin on the place or you're trying to put in a uh, some type of a more permanent residence or maybe you're just using an rv like a camper something like that and one of the biggest barriers to doing that is getting electricity uh, off grid. Uh, it can be prohibitively expensive sometimes to run electrical lines uh, deep into a piece of land. And so today we're going to be talking about the best ways to generate electricity off grid. And this week we're talking to Clint Johnson with Polaris Power Generators. Clint, welcome to Hunt Land, man. You know, when I think of Polaris, I think of really awesome UTVs, ATVs. I don't, I don't really think of generators. So tell me a little bit about Polaris Power Generators before we get started. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're really excited about our, our product line here. We at Polaris, we've been building recreational vehicles for a long time. We've got a great history. Um, we've had some uh, generator models in the past, and we've basically taken all them learnings and improved on them and built four types of generators for the Polaris consumer, or I should say anybody. When people are searching for a generator, there's a lot of, there's a lot of decision points that you've got to make. But I think maybe to start out, it's best to determine what their application is going to be. Probably the first example I'd like to use is is a hunting cabin. And when I when I talk about a hunting cabin, what I'm talking about is a seasonal uh, a seasonal residence. You know, down here in the south, we're real really worried about air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> whereas <laughs> up north, you guys are probably really worried about heat, not so much with air conditioning. But let's talk about cabins first, and maybe that guy who just wants to build the off grid setup. And he doesn't need AC. Uh, and we'll kind of work our way up from there. What, what do you recommend that person who's building a seasonal residence do when it comes to getting a generator? Yeah, a couple of questions I kind of feel need to get answered first is basically how much power are they planning on needing or using? So we have a great calculator online to be able to try to add up all of your appliances or, or tools that you're going to be needing. And that'll kind of give you a good rule of thumb of what's your max peak watts versus your running watts. Um, so we have generators that'll run, you know, from the 2000 watt to the 3200 watt to a 5500 watt, and then also the 6500 watt. So we've got the kind of the recipe, I'll, I'll say, to, to gear the consumer into the right, the right size generator. Watts is the first question they need to ask. Yeah. Is there, I mean, is there anything else that they, they need to think out, uh, think about besides just wattage? Yes. Portability is a big one. How far do you have to carry it? Do you want to carry it? Is it going to be in the back of your truck? Is it going to be in a, in a shed that you're going to roll out? Um, are you going to be just using it, you know, intermittently where you, you want to have it as a suitcase style? So yeah, there's uh, the options of portability is a, is a big one. Getting back to wattage, let's first use AC. I think AC is kind of the 
seems to be a cutoff right there with uh, no AC or needing AC for a guy yeah. who does not need air conditioning. He's just wanting to run lights, maybe an appliance, heat, and do things like that. What kind of wattage is somebody like that going to need? Yeah, if it's basic without AC, and most cabins usually have a 12-volt power system or or they have a set of batteries maybe that they're using, so they just need the generator to maintain or, or bring their batteries to, to full capacity. So our 2,000-watt generator is more than enough for that, for that consumer. If you have, you know, a couple strings of lights in there and you got, um, you know, a radio or maybe even a small TV, a 2,000 is going to be whatever is going to pretty much handle that. But if you move into a little bit, bigger appliances or you you buy an ac unit that's maybe a portable ac unit you can run the 3200 and that's really going to give you the best efficiency as well as the power needed to run just kind of like your middle of the road i'll say um uses needs yeah so so when you step up to ac and i imagine some of the some of the larger uh appliances or, or appliances that have more draw maybe like a microwave or something like that Yep. You're going to need to go 3000 and above. Is this 3000 the cutoff? Yeah, 3200 is our peak. It runs constant it consistently puts out 2800. So um again, really try to use that calculator or or understand what 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 that microwave size. I mean, there's many sizes of microwaves out there or AC units. So really trying to to figure that out before you make the purchase. So you're wanting to look at, you need to look individually, you know, if you're running yeah. a, a window unit or, or an RV type AC, it's going to have different draw maybe than they don't all have the same. So you got to first find out what that appliance is. Correct. And what are you looking at with regards to, you mentioned, you know, peak and, and running Watts, explain the difference between the two. Yeah, the starting watts is, you know, the 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 watts that are needed to start the AC unit from initial startup um, is higher than what it's running when it's running. So when you want to flip the switch on it, that AC unit's going to going to ask for a lot more power just to get things running, get to the compressor started and get the fans running. So then it, that's where the starting watts will need to be. Then when it gets down into running, it'll run into more of an average wattage and usually it's a lot less. So you're only needing that that starting wattage for just a, a few seconds, not even a second sometimes, just to kind of keep that from tripping or overloading the generator. So, you know, we're thinking off-grid cabin, maybe we don't need AC. We step up into that that air conditioning range. Now yep. we're I'm I'm calling that a house at this point. I mean, maybe yep. it's a maybe it's a uh, manufactured home. When is somebody going to need to take the next level up in terms of, of wattage? What would require that if they're, if they can run AC with a 3,200, mm -hmm. why would they want to then step it up even further? Basically when we go from the 120 to 240, so a hot water heater, you know, washers and dryers, um, an oven potentially, then you would want to run into our more of our bigger, we call them open frame generators. So this generator has got max capacity whenever it's running. So it's given, there's, there's no, there's no starting or, uh, well, there is starting, but it, it's always consistently giving out power. So it'll take the the bigger appliances and make the most efficiency out of it. Yeah. So you mentioned open frame. Talk to me about the differences between open frame and then I, I guess the alternative is, is an inverter? Yes, correct. Yes. So the, the open frames, again, are, are built to, to take take on as much power as they're rated for right at startup. So the throttle is, is at a set position where it's giving the max. An inverter generator will take that and 
give you the option to make it more efficient by idling down. So we have smart throttle, it's called. When the smart throttle is applied, the RPMs, the engine will gain and reduce power as needed. With that really brings the noise level down and that's that's kind of a, a key. And that's another great question um, if you have a cabin or, or RV is, is you, you need to be noise and, and watch your decibels because it is you don't want to hear a, a loud generator running all the time. So these inverter generators typically are, are less noisy and, and offer the best efficiency. You know, I've got a, uh, I've got a pop-up camper that I tow around uh, and we camp in the off season. We use it during hunting season and uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and, but like I was saying, just here recently, we had a hurricane blow through. We were without power. Uh, we stayed in the pop-up and uh, we're hooked up to generator power. And I really appreciated having an inverter generator at that time because it was much quieter uh, than the open frames that I could hear running all throughout the neighborhood, <laughs> running everybody's right. house. Right. But you can do some things right with an open frame to, to quiet them down. Can you, I mean, can you build? So like if you were going to, I would imagine getting back to the portability you mentioned earlier, if you're running say a recreational vehicle, whether it's an RV or pop-up or, or a travel trailer or something like that, portability is going to be really important because you're going to be maybe loading that up in the back of a truck, having right. to take it out every time you set up camp. Whereas a, a guy that's running a cabin or even a, a, a home uh, that's off grid, he's going to probably be leaving that generator in one spot. Is, is there anything you can do if you want that open frame style for the uh, increased wattage, but you want to decrease the, the noise? Is, is there, are there any options there? there? There are a few. I think the biggest thing will be is not, you know, pointing the exhaust in, in, a, in a direction where it won't be blasted, you know, towards your cabin. And, you know, I've seen, and, and there's been people that build like uh, an enclosures to try right. to muffle the, the, the noise down. So yeah, there's, there's, there's ways. The other thing is just getting a longer cord, right? We are our, our inverters and, and just get a longer extension cord and get it away from the cabin. So it's not so, you know, close is kind of the, this is what I see in the market where people are doing. I, I, I think too, you know, like what, what about, I know there are, um, can you can parallel two generators together, right? So, I mean, let me ask you this. If you take like, uh, you were talking about that 3200 style inverter generator where it, it's going to be able to power an RV AC or a small air conditioner, but maybe not power a hot water heat or something on the it's 240, right? Yep. If you were to parallel, say, two 3200s or parallel a 2000 with a 3200, if that's possible, would that then give you the wattage you need? to power up some of those bigger appliances? Yep. Yep. Great question. So um, if the customer's got say a battery bank or he's running, he's running a battery or he's just running a few items um, like a TV or, or something, and he only needs 2000 Watts. He can parallel the 2000 with the 3200 and the mm -hmm. 3200 is got the electric start with the key fob in a hundred foot range. So um, for instance, when I use when I have a, we, we ice fish here in Northern Minnesota and we always have a battery power needing. So we have a 2000 that runs and I also parallel my 3200 to it. And if I need to run the microwave or if I need to run the pizza oven, or if I need to run the hot water heater, I can just quickly hit the button and it starts. And then boom, I have 5,200 Watts available. And, you know, as I'm done, I can just hit the button on the key fob. It shuts it down. And now I'm back to efficiency and running only the 2000 on a very minimal idle. 
and you pick up the portability of having that 2000 suitcase style generator. So, you know, one of the things we do a lot on our, our land down here is we've got projects, especially hunters. Uh, we're building maybe uh, shooting houses out and we're doing that even further remote than our cabin is and being able to run and, and hook up power tools out in the woods, as opposed to having to build something, you know, where you have power then haul it back on a trailer or something like that is a big time advantage. So I would think having that portability and then being able to parallel, it kind of is the best of both worlds. It seems yes. like if, if that's your main focus. Correct. You know, a pair of 2000 watt generators is, is really a, a guy would only really need to, to need to have to run a, an off grid cabin or, or had anything. So if you had two 2000s, you can always main parallel them together and be able to pull 4,000 watts whenever you need. And then both have the smart throttle. So you could have them parallel together and it's only pulling on one, but as soon as the other one's needed, it can kick on really easily. Yeah, and then and then like say, if you do also do something like a camp and you spend much time in campgrounds, a lot of them have, you know, decibel yes. uh, limits. And so you then you've got, the ability to use that not only in your off-grid application, but also maybe some of your other pursuits. Right. You know, you talk, you were talking about being in Northern Minnesota. We don't, we don't get those kind of temperatures down here, uh, <laughs> but it does get, it does get cold. And I have experienced having trouble getting a generator started in cold weather. Yep. So one, one of the biggest troubles is that you got to get out of that warm camper <laughs> and yes. go out there and crank it up. Tell me about the, uh, that feature, you know, you said the, your generators have a remote start. Do y'all do anything else to aid with cold weather? Yes. Um, we, we also, we, all of our generator lineup, the whole generator lineup has a cold weather kits installed. So there, we really take that, that out of the picture. The biggest thing, and, and going back to your hard starts, um, do testing in Minnesota here. And obviously our summers here get hot and humid just as well. But the biggest thing we see is the fuel. So make sure you're running fresh and, and new fuel in the generator because of the the cold will affect the the fuel on how it can how it can ignite and make hard starting um, issues the other thing is is batteries we know our electric start in our 3200 in our open frames um, we have the best battery we we can put into that package and make sure that your battery is maintained and the, and the generator is maintained is is key to trying to keep these um, from you know starting in the cold weather Talking about fuel, you know, off-grid applications, especially seasonal off-grid applications, a lot of times, you know, a guy, he may have a place and he may spend a good bit of time there maybe every weekend during hunting season, but then, then it kind of gets, it sits there for a while as hunting seasons are out and maybe his generator is sitting there as well. You mentioned fuel. Is it important to run non-ethanol fuel in, in generators? Um, Absolutely. Can you, so you need to stay with that. I mean, can you give me any tips for like, if, if the guy knows if, even if he's running non-ethanol and he knows he's going to leave his generator for a while, what should they do to kind of, uh, I'll, I always call it fog it, but what, you know, what should they yeah. do to, to prepare it for that extended period without it being cranked? Great question. Yeah. The biggest thing will be is to shut the fuel off and run the generator out of gas. You want to try to get all of the, all of the gas out of the lines and out of the bowl of the carburetors. That's that's a big, big must. The other thing again is is putting a fuel stabilizer in it for when you're not needing it, and also being able to drain the fuel or add new fuel once you come up in you know say the month or or the summer, 
is make sure you have fresh fuel. Well, Clint, you're talking about fuel. Uh, that brings to mind, you know, we're thinking about maintenance. What else do people need to think about if, if they've got an off-grid application or I guess really just any generator application? What else needs to be done maintenance-wise besides running non-ethanol and, and like you said, running that fuel out of that carburetor? Yeah, yeah, great. You know, our user owner's manuals and most generators is, is change your oil routinely. You know, good oil, fresh oil is, 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 again, key to keeping these generators running at their optimum performance. You know, understanding how the oil drains out of the generator and how, how easy it is, how easy it is to change the oil. That's something to really look for. Um, a lot of people don't like changing oil. They think, well, um, you know, I'll go until it, it doesn't go anymore. Well, we've made it really easy and, you know, generators um, need to be tuned, I'll say, to make sure that they're at their most efficiency. So changing the oil, uh, running on ethanol, following the, uh, the maintenance manual, no doubt. I mean, anything else for guys storing them long periods of time? Yep. The, the battery is another one to make sure. And, and of course, the air filter. Our batteries, our electric start model, our 3200 is needs a battery power to run and start. Uh, the open frames, um, they have electric start, but you know they got recoil backup. The 3200 has got electric key fob start as well as recoil backup. So the battery is needed for the choke. So if you're running a, a in the cold weather, you make sure that the battery is maintained correctly. That's going to let the, the electric choke do its job and be able to start easy. The open frames has a manual choke, and you'll be able to start that with a you know with by hand. But make sure that our batteries are, are maintained. It's just like your car, um, making sure that, that they're fully charged before use. Right. You brought up open frames again, and I can't understand. So just enlighten me here. For my personal situation, I it's a it's an awesome setup to have two inverter generators that I can parallel. It gives me portability, portability like you talked about in the beginning. It gives me the, the quiet. It gives me power when I need it. And also when I don't, you know, so I'm able to pick and choose how many generators to run. I really like the setup of parallel into inverter generators. Why would someone choose an open frame? Open frame is really needed for big appliances or big tools that are being used. If you've got a big camper that you have a lot of different options and you know, hot water heaters, again, we bring up is where you don't, you don't have necessarily any time where you're going to need that that smart throttle or the or the efficiency you're just looking for as much power as you possibly can and and running it so that typically is the biggest difference construction companies and we've we've got some features on it to to make it easier for the construction site we got a single pull lift so a guy can hook it up to a skid steer um, a chain on a crane and and lift it and move it um, in, in and out of vehicles so it's really geared towards the you know construction looking for the most power they don't they're not necessarily looking for efficiency they just want to make sure that the the power is there when they need it yeah i mean it's and maybe for the guy who wants to run have his television on be drying clothes microwaving something running the air conditioner you know like all at the same Correct. time i would imagine uh which yes. can happen uh at the, even at the hunting camps can definitely happen well man like i said in the beginning when i think of polaris I, I think of some really awesome products uh but i'm thinking utvs and atvs um been using those products for years and they're awesome what made you guys get into the the generator game i mean what what are y'all doing different 
and generators that made you get into this market? Yes. Um, basically, it just comes down to our riders and our customers are always in the outdoors and they're, they're doing the cabin life, the trailer life, the RV life, and they really need a generator to help get their vehicles either maintained or, or just enjoying the great outdoors. So giving these three options, the 2,000, 3,200, 5,500, and the 6,500, again, really gives that lineup of what and enhances the the user for using you know players products and other products but really tries to tries to make sure that they're they're getting the most efficiency and the best power so um yeah basically it kind of comes down to players a great quality company we've designed a a great quality generator to go along with our products i'll give it some examples Our, our 2000 watt what really makes that a little bit niche to the market is we have lights, we have running lights. So the, one of the biggest, you know, complaints we'll I'll say is it's at night. I want to go shut the generator off. How do I shut it off? Well, we've, uh, we've incorporated led lights that give the, it's, it's outside. You can see it. It's, you can walk up to it. You can, you can monitor it. You can shut it off. You can add fuel. You can do all these things and, and really have light. The other thing is, is the, portability of it so adding three handles and most people have extension cords they run an extension cord with their generator we have these cord management legs that come up and you can wrap the extension cord right onto the generator so it makes you know having that third hand not needed to be yeah. able to, to to take your generator out and run it so that them are some great features that we put into our our 2000 Man, everything you're saying right there is something I've experienced personally. And usually it's not getting up at night to go turn it off. It's getting up to go refill it with fuel so you can Correct. keep that AC running uh, or keep that heat going. And and you're right. You know, you got to get your headlamp out. You got to get everything ready. Uh, having that right there on the unit to be able to help you refill fuel, do what you need to do outside is is big. And then, like you said, being when you're moving these things around, it's it's pretty frustrating whenever you you get to where you want to be and then you realize you forgot the extension cord or yeah, you don't yeah. have what you need. So being able to keep it all right there, uh, it sounds like y'all are just doing some. You're taking something and and really making it user friendly. Yes, yeah, that's our 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 biggest goal is to make it user friendly, just make it more enjoyable to use. The 3200 I want to I want to hit on. There's a few features of that I'd, I'd like to talk through. Again, we got the cord management, so we got the extension cord pegs. That's on all of our generators. It's on all of our generators cord management. The other thing on 3200 is, of course, the key fob start. But we've really tried to to have the portability. So it's got two wheels in the back. You got the fold down handle that be able to pull it like a suitcase in and out of your truck or you know up a up a stairway even. So you know if we these generator this generators you know, around a hundred pounds. So it, it's bigger and we've given it some tools to be able to, to move it around easier. Yeah. You know, and if you can get it, you know, getting it out of the back of a vehicle is going to be your, your hardest thing. But then once you got it on the ground, you're good. If you got wheels yeah. moving it around, moving around campsites and, and things of that nature. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's been good to talk a little bit with you about, about these, these questions people need to ask, because I know, you know, when you're in this in the generator market, whether you're in it for the first time or you're getting back into it after being out of it for a while, there's just a lot of things that running watts versus starting watts. And what does all this stuff mean? I thought you did a really good job of, of uh, educating us on on those different decision points. But if folks want to get over to take a look at the product lineup and, and kind of compare and contrast what you've got, maybe what's the best fit for them, 
are you guys doing just direct consumer sales online or do you do you have like a, a retail presence? How can people find out more? Yeah, we, we have a great website. It shows all of our options. It's polarispower.com. You can buy directly from the website. Also, you can you can use the help me choose feature. So like you said, understanding the watts and we have a calculator built in and really tries to pinpoint of what you what are you going to use this generator for? Here's the here's our recommendations. So it's a great user guide. Um, and of course, you can always go to our any local Polaris dealer. They'll be more than welcome to help you uh, look at all of our options and, and actually probably have some generators there so you can touch and feel. Well, Clint, thanks for joining us on Huntland, man. Uh, I've I've learned a lot, and I hope I hope everybody else has too. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Great, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. As always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like us to email you this podcast, it's super easy to join our email list. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. And we will add you to our email list and send you the new show each week. Hope you enjoyed this show. Got a show idea? Reach out to us, pros at landhunting.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, folks, we will talk to you next week. This week's Unland podcast is brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South Farm Credit can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. First South shares its profits with its borrowers in the form of a patronage refund, which lowers your cost of borrowing. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty celebrates the traditions of hunting and fishing so deeply embedded in the folks who get to call the Alabama Black Belt home and the folks who enjoy. It's got unbelievable writing from award-winning writers, excellent photography, and some really awesome recipes. If you want to pick up a copy, just go over to the Alabama Black Belt Adventures website at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash blackbeltbounty. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And also brought to you by Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com.